media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to 1 John 1, nine. You may be asking, I thought we were in Psalms for the summer. Well, the summer's almost over, um, but I did take a, a, a little bit of a liberty. I was going to preach Psalm 22, which I don't know if you... Uh, do you know that there's uh, some Psalms that had prophecy in them? And Psalms 22 is one of those. It, it, there's so many descriptions of Christ on the cross and the crucifixion. So we might get to that, but I really wanted to come back. And as I was just thinking through and praying through, uh, this is a, the text that I preached uh, the first Sunday uh, as your pastor seven years ago. I think I had preached two sermons before that, kind of in that preliminary time. Um, one of the things I've, I've talked to, to Brian about, I've talked to Andy about, I said, you know, sometimes it seems like I'm just preaching the same sermon over and over and over again. It's different texts, Old Testament, New Testament, this person, that person. And it seems like it always is just the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And uh, instead of apologizing for that, I, that, that's the foundation. That's the only thing we have to preach, guys. And so, yes... We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about children. We're going to talk about finances. We're going to talk about how do we do vocational life and all those things are going to come into it. But if we don't build that upon the foundation of the gospel, then all we have, as we talked about last night, is just a different version of morality. Okay, here's what we believe is right and true as far as it's the way to act. The only way that we can act these things out in life and to love our wives like Christ loved the church is that the gospel has gotten us, transformed us, and is continuing to transform us. And so the only message we're ever going to have, guys, is the gospel. And it's going to sound repetitive because this is the redeeming word of the Bible. And I, I mean, I promise you, I promise you, we could open up to anywhere this morning, Job 8. Now, I promise you that would be a challenge <laughs> to find in Job 8 because I am a little bit familiar with Job 8. Uh, and it's the friends complaining to Job, okay, Job, what have you done? But I promise you, you look in there and you're going to find the gospel. You're going to find the hope that is Christ Jesus. So we come back this morning and we're going to talk about the gospel. We're going to talk about how forgiven is forgiven. Did your mother ever tell you to go clean your, your room? Yeah, when you grew up. And did she ever have a different version of clean than you did? And did you ever have to go back and reclean or clean more than what you thought, you know, that because it didn't pass mom's approval? It's because clean is a relative term. Clean is a, a term that matters on one's opinion. Some people would look at something. Uh, some people will drop food on the floor and go, I mean, even 10 seconds later and eat it. Okay, Other people, if it's dropped on the floor, it's going to the trash. So people are relative about, okay, is this clean? Is this safe? Or is it? And one of the things are our laundry. I mean, how many guys have done the smell test? It must be clean. doesn't stink. Well, just because it doesn't stink doesn't mean it's clean, right? But that's a difference of opinion. And so we all have different ways that we use this relative information that we have, and somehow we make other decisions based on this relative information that we absorb in. But when we begin to think about all the relative terms, that uh, things like, how old is old? How many of you, when you, now be honest, that when you were in 20s, you thought 60 was old? Now that some of us are at that age, 
Do you feel old or do you feel... No, let's not go about feelings. <laughs> Especially after the work day yesterday. We feel old this morning. But, you know, in your mind, you're still 18. I mean, it's one of those things in your mind. It's all relative. For example, when, do you remember a day and age when you would have thought, man, if I can ever have $5,000 in the bank, I will be a rich man. And $5,000 was this astronomical amount that you're going... Man, I'll have no worries. And now you're going, man, there's 20 things that can happen in my life right now that would take 5,000 plus in a minute. Everything's relative, guys. Everything kind of changes with perspective. How sick is sick? Have you ever been miss a work day or school day sick, but not really go to the doctor sick? Yeah. Yeah. Everything's relative. Until we get to something like God's forgiveness for us. And one of the things that we begin to say there is that God is very definite about his forgiveness for us if we place our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ. See, good and bad is very are very relative terms. I mean, you can talk about, oh, that's a good person. Well, good person compared to what? Christ, the holiness of God, or just in comparison to yourself? Or you can say, this is a bad person. Well, what do you mean by bad person? They've committed murder? They've done this, that, and the other? Are they just bad in comparison to what your mindset is, like your mom saying, go clean your room? When God speaks about forgiveness, when he talks about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, he doesn't do it in relative terms. And yet we are people that live in a very relative world, and so we take some of those things that God has pronounced black and white, 100%, and we, we kind of begin to make them a little bit more gray. I mean, for example, how good do you have to be to be considered good? How bad do you have to be to be considered bad? Are you good if you don't do any really big sins? But what if you do a whole bunch? I mean, like a multitude of little sins. And I realize I'm using those terms because those are our terms. They're not biblical terms, big sins and little sins. Sin is sin, folks. But see how we begin to measure out our need for Christ? I mean, what if you don't do any big sins, but you do those little sins and do them over and over and over again, and you just have a heart of rebellion? But you didn't murder anybody. No, our sinfulness, God points out in his word, is our need for a savior. And whether, I mean, it's hard to imagine that living in this world where it's filled with people and we've all sinned and we sin every single day. But what if you were a person and you only sinned five times your entire life? Everybody else would say that is the most holy, the most godly, the most moral, the most upstanding person, the best person I've ever met. And yet in front of a holy God, folks, we'd be as lost as anybody else who had a lifetime of multitudes of sins. This is where us being relative people and using relative terms begins to hurt us. And this is why God comes back and he defines the gospel and he defines what he has done through Jesus Christ in very exact terms. And he's painting it boldly. Today we're going to use uh, these two terms, definitive terms and relative terms. Relative terms, they're kind of based on your opinion. Definitive terms, absolute truth, is not based on opinions, but on facts. 
They are defined. They are definite. There's no gray area. They are not judged by emotion and feeling, but truth. Consequently, that's why a lot of people struggle with the truth of the Bible. It doesn't leave things up to your opinion. And how many people recently noticed that you do have opinions? And a lot of us have really strong opinions, especially when it comes to particular matters. And so that's why God is always going to, he, he loves us so much that when he's written his word to give to us, he makes things very exact. And in a world that says, well, you know, they're just not, there's not really absolute truth. It's everybody's version of truth. And God would say, no, I gave you truth. And if you have your Bible with you today, in your lap, on your phone, and that's a place that you go to, you recognize that this is where God has placed his truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I've lived out this truth. I'm the embodiment of truth. So next time somebody says, you know, we don't really live, there's no such thing as absolute truth, tell them, well, that's just biblically incorrect. Because God has painted that for us. He's provided that for us. As you read through the Bible, you're going to find one definitive statement after another about the truth of what Christ would accomplish on the cross when he would die for our sins and then rise again on the third day. For example, 1 John 1, 9. You know, there's about 10 verses that if you just had to memorize 10 verses uh, in your entire life, I would, I would encourage you to learn a lot more than 10 verses. But if you just had to memorize 10 verses, this would be one of those that I would put in those 10 because I think it's that important. Because what this does, it anchors us in truth rather than letting us go by the emotions or our feelings. What does it say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Definitive or relative? I mean, look at the definitive terms that God uses there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. That's just not just. That's unfair that, that, you know, that, that he would just forgive my sins. No. The sins were paid for. That's what Christ did on the cross. And that's where justice comes. That's why we use the word justification in the theological sense to talk about what happens to a person who's lost, who now has placed their faith in Christ as their answer to be right with the Holy God. We, when we're saved, we are justified. Why? Because all of a sudden we learned all these new theological terms? No, because what God has done is now there is justice even for us who were sinners. Why? Because Christ paid for our sin. I mean, what a declarative statement. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, have you ever been... Sometimes it comes from our human nature and our fallen nature. Other times it's going to come from the evil one. It's going to come just from, you know, just that spiritual warfare that we face. But have you ever prayed for forgiveness like at least three times and for the moment you kind of feel forgiven and yet next week that same sin, not you doing that sin over, but that same sin from two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and you start to feel the kind of the shame, the guilt, the heaviness of that. Have you ever been there before? We all have. It's because we deal with it relatively rather than definitively like Christ did. He said, you're cleansed from all unrighteousness. Guys, you're not going to get that deal, not even from your loving wife or your loving husband. Not even from you. 
I mean, I don't know that there's a love on earth that compares to a mama's love. I mean, I love my girls. I love my grandkids. I can hit fifth gear. Carly has a sixth gear, and she just glides right into it. There's something about a mama's love that is just so defined. And yet a mama's love does not compare to this love right here, guys. His unfailing love to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look at the, listen to the clarity of this. Isaiah 1.18. Come now, let us what? Reason together. Let us think about it. Let's meditate. Let's work this out in our mind to see if this is truth. That's what reasoning is, right? Okay. Come let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Pretty definitive. He said, reason this. Think about it. Realize this is truth. Work this out in your mind. Psalms 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions, our sins from us. Romans 8, 1. There is now therefore, what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, is this pretty much 100% zero? Is this left up to a relative emotional day that we're having? Oh, we're feeling good? Hey, we've had four cups of coffee. I'm feeling, yeah, victorious today. Or is this left up to the finished work of Jesus Christ that is complete in every way? Folks, Christ is not going to go back to the cross and die again. Go read Hebrews. Go read some of these other places where it says, He's died once and for all for our sins. For those that are going to place their trust and faith in that, the work is finished. It's not being completed. Now our sanctification, our growing in Christ-likeness, is an ongoing work and it will be until the next theological phase, glorification. So that's kind of, that does kind of ebb and flow. But this justification, this forgiveness part, it's settled. And now we decide, is that where we place our trust, to be made right with a holy God? The problem is that we often allow God's truth to be drowned out by our own feelings and our emotions and our, even our own sense of reason. Let me give you an example. Uh, again, have you ever prayed for forgiveness and then you felt like you had to pray for it again and then again, and maybe three weeks later? Well, it's because our emotions are going up and down. We're all over the place emotionally. That's where we can be deceived. The whole reason that God writes in definitive terms is that we allow feelings and emotions kind of like the waves of the ocean going back and forth, the tides coming in and out. We were at Hilton Head a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I mean, we, Hilton Head's one of our favorite places, and we've gone there for years and years and years. But I don't remember at this particular part of the beach, we would put our stuff out in the morning, and we almost had to move it like three hours later because the tide that was way, way out there would start coming in. I've just never seen it change that much. And it reminded me of two spiritual truths. Number one, all the sandcastles from the day before, guess what happened to them with the tides coming in and out? They're gone. And that's my sin. He washes it away. Grace upon grace, the Bible says. The other thing it reminds me is that when I base my emotions on the in and out, man, it never changes. I can take a stand right here and put down my, you know, the little tent and all these kind of different things. And all of a sudden the tide starts coming in. It's like, okay, we're going to have to move. 
Why? Because we based it on something that was not a constant. When we base our forgiveness on something that's not a constant, how good we've been, have we, you know, done this or that, folks, it's always going to be changing. And you're going to have good days and good weeks, maybe even good months. I'm not going to go with good years because except for just a few of you, none of us have ever had totally good years. But what about those days or weeks that you have bad weeks? And you're a little bit short with the children, even shorter with your spouse. Is your standing with God going to ride on your actions for that day? Now, in no way am I endorsing, hey, we trust Jesus, he forgives us our sins, and then we just go live however we want. No, that's the whole area of sanctification. We are to grow more and more like Christ every single day and reflect what he has done in us. But I want you to know that your standing, your placement is finished when you've placed, truly placed your faith in the work of Christ. And it doesn't have to be an emotional thing, a feeling thing that goes back and forth based on your performance of the day or the week. Two words in First John 1 John 1.9. Go back there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These two words, um, key words in here that I, I think uh, really help us attack guilt and doubt when it comes. One is faithful. God will do what he said he will do. Ricky, you just talked about resting, that part of this Sabbath is a rest. And you're right. Sometimes it does involve a physical rest. It can have that connotation. But but there's a resting in the work of God, in the person of God, of, of who he is. And part of this faithfulness is that we rest even when we really messed up. How many of you rest in God and his forgiveness ability when you've done like little, you know, things, you were short with the kids, short with the spouse or something like that, and you're going, okay, I'm in a better mood now. God, thank you for forgiving me. How many of you rest in God's forgiving power when you do something like that? What if it's a really, really, really big sin? Now, again, I'm using, the Bible never uses the term little sin, big sin. That's our terms because we're relative people. Is it harder when you've done something really, really, really bad? And yet nowhere in here do I see if we confess our big sins, if we confess our little sins, he is faithful and just forgive us of our little sins, but watch out for the big ones. It's not what the Bible says. It's not what God has said. He's made it very clear. The other thing is, is he's just. God's forgiveness doesn't depend on your emotions. Now, in repentance, let me be clear. If I say, when my girls did something wrong and they would come with tears in their eyes and I see tears, sometimes I would equate that to a repentful heart. Okay? When the, when the boys painted, was it the car or the house? house. The house. With spray cans. And if you need good parenting techniques, go hear the rest of the story, and I love it. I love it. Okay, did you see repentance right away? Was it one of those, you know, as they realized their sinfulness, that you don't just spray paint the side of the house? Was there a... (laughs) Did you make sure by the end that they had repented of their sins? (laughs) 
I mean, when we see tears, especially mamas, I don't know, I can't say that because some of you mamas are harder than the daddies. The daddies are, oh man, he's just a boy. Now we allow emotions to come in there. God doesn't allow emotions to come in. Are we to have repentive hearts? Yes, because that is a sign that we have turned away in our understanding that this is sinful, that this is against what the Holy God wants us to do. Guys, you could come to this altar and you could have tears in your eyes and you could pray this morning. And if you don't have truly a turning of mind and a transforming of mind and heart, it was just an emotional event. And that's why sometimes Sunday sermons don't last to Monday work time or school time if it's not a matter of the mind and the heart and a true transforming power of the Holy Spirit. You wonder, I just need to change churches because I can't live out. You know, Sunday I felt pretty good, but Monday, no, don't put that on. I mean, if they're preaching the word, don't put that on the pastor. Don't put that on the church. Understand that you were making an emotional decision. And while God has given us emotions and we are emotional people, he has done things in a declarative way, not in a relative way. He's just. Go read Romans 3, and that's why he talks about Jesus being the just and the justifier. Romans 3 is wonderful, guys, because it describes where our hope is in Jesus Christ and his work. This is the very heart of the gospel. This is the truth. And declaring this truth about our sin and our need for redemption, God loves to hear that. Not so that he has us under his thumb in some kind of punitive way, but no, it's the admittance of our need and it's the admittance of turning to the gift that he's given us. He has solved our sin problem in one way and one way only, in Christ Jesus. His death, burial, and resurrection... God will never come up with a plan B because plan A was sufficient. And there's great joy, I believe, in the very Spirit of God. When our eyes are open to that and we come with that definitiveness and say, God, thank you that you have saved me by the finished work of Christ. If we don't, if we don't, guys, here's what you're hostage to. Your emotions, your reasoning, and your works. Would you agree, just being honest, would you agree that those three things can hold you captive at times? They can give you a false sense of your goodness or they can give you a wrong sense of just how bad you are and that you're unsavable. Can your emotions, your reasoning, your thinking, and your works... I mean, isn't that how can we respond to this whole dilemma of our sin? And so God doesn't want us to be hostage. That's going to bring fear. It's going to bring depression. It's going to bring all kinds of things that are overwhelming us. But when we go to the cross and we go to Christ as our security before a holy God, then all of a sudden our emotions can be one of joy because it's not based on our performance but on what he did. Our reasoning can be in solid truth instead of kind of here one day and another place another day. And especially when it comes to our works. We'll be doing works for the right reason because we just want to serve this God that we love rather than somehow trying to serve him to earn our way into heaven. It's a trap, guys. 
and it's relative. God says, I don't want you to deal in the bondage of relativity. I'm going to define salvation. I'm going to define what makes you right with me, and I'm going to define it through my son and his word. Does that make sense? In one way, it's really simple. In another way, aren't you kind of... I mean, how many of you would say this morning, okay, I know that to be theologically true, Pastor, and yet I still can get called up in my emotions and my own reasoning. It wasn't that big of a sin. People do a lot worse. Or my own works. Isn't that amazing that even people that know the truth can come back and be held hostage to those things? And that's why we need to be in the Word day after day after day after day and just come back and run to the cross and run to the finished work of Christ as our sufficiency of living this life now out because of what Christ has done. Let me just try, let me do this uh, biblically. We're going to read uh, five different verses and here's your job this morning. You're going to look at this verse and you're going to say, okay, is this a relative statement or is this a declarative statement, okay? First one, First John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Relative or declarative? Declarative. <laughs> He's saying if you say you don't have sin, you're wrong. <laughs> Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one into his own way. Declarative or relative? Yeah. He said, all of you have, you're like sheep and you've all sinned. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now look at these. Ephesians 2.8.9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Relative or declarative? declaring truth. Titus 3, 4, and 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Time after time, this is a handful. This is a couple grains of sand in the ocean of the Word of God that makes declarative statements over and over and over again. This is who you are in Christ Jesus. This is who you are when you're not in Christ Jesus. And it's not relative. It is so definitive. The Bible leaves no room for us to think that God has saved us on any amount of our own goodness, but only by the grace that He has exhibited to us. And this is why we sing some of those old songs what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? I mean, some of those songs may be old guys, but they kind of build on some biblical truth there, okay? Folks, the cross is not just a pretty big deal, it's the entire deal. It's the entire deal. It's not part of the truth. It is the truth. And that is why God has given us truth like 1 John 1, 9 as an anchor for our soul because we are emotional people. We are thinking people. We are kind of manipulating people. Well, I'll work my way back. I mean, guys, how long did it take you in marriage to figure out that if you really blew it with your wife, 
that some form, whether that was flowers and a good meal or vacuuming and doing the dishes, it works different ways with different ladies, okay? But you found out, okay, I blew it, so now I'm going to work my way back to her good graces by doing whatever. You fill in the blank. Didn't take us long. Because shortly after that honeymoon period, we found out that she, she, we found out what she already knew, that we were fallible. There was no arguing the theological point of depravity of sin. And yet in our mind, we became manipulators of a sort, even with good intentions. I need to get back in good graces with my wife, with my husband. But God has not left us to be hostage to that week in, week out, when it's our relationship with him. He's made it definitive. Do you think that Satan cares if you err on the side of your badness and think that you're unsavable, unforgivable, or if you err on your, the side of, hey, I'm a pretty good person. There's a lot of other people that are a lot worse than me. Do you think it matters to Satan which of those lies we believe? They're both just as dangerous. It's a sword that cuts both ways, that, that brings death to our spiritual life. And that's why God has come back and said, let me clear this up for you so that you're not led astray by thinking that you're this good or that you're so bad that you can't be saved. He said, let me just tell you straight. I will send my son, my perfect son, who will die in your place. You place your trust in him and you will have forgiveness. Truth is, there's not one person here today that's good enough to earn redemption from a holy God. But here's the good news of the gospel. There's not one of us bad enough today, guys, to be refused by the cross when we come and say, God, thank you for this gift that you clothe yourself in flesh and you dwelt among us and you left a perfect life. And I place all my trust and all my faith in that work. Isn't that good to know this morning? Let me end with uh, a couple of declarative statements here. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. What's the first two words? In him. Who's him? Christ Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. God actually says it's wisdom that I lavished this gift of my son upon you. He wasn't saying, and that was a bad idea. He said, it's wisdom that I did this. First Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways and inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. First Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. This is our hope, guys. And here's the thing. This is our only hope. There is no other hope. There is no other gospel. There is no other anchoring truth than this truth for us. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. 
Father, I thank you that you have not left us to the, to the, the bondage of our emotions and our reasoning, our works, Father. You made us emotional beings and you made us thinking beings and gave us a brain and Father, you gave us this ability to understand and perform and, and yet you have not anchored our eternal security on those things, Father. And you certainly have not anchored our right relationship with you on those things. Thank you, Father, that in this relative mind that I have, this relative heart that I have, in this relative life that I live, good one day, bad the next, that you anchored it in a finished work, the work of Jesus Christ. And Father, my prayer today is that we as Christians would know that and we would not be held hostage this week. That, Father, when we do serve, that we would serve out of gladness, joy, appreciation. And, Father, for those that may not know you today, maybe they know a lot about the Bible. Maybe they believe that there is a God. Maybe they believe a lot of things. But they're still trying by their own efforts to get right with you. Father, will you send them to the cross? Will you, will you just lay them down before the cross? Would you open up their eyes, Father, spiritually so that they could see that their only hope is a finished work in Christ Jesus, not a trying work based on their own efforts? That everything we believe, everything we are, our future depends on this wonderful blood of Christ. So we love you, Father. We thank you. That in our relative beings, that you've made a declarative work that can serve as an anchor for our soul. We love you, Father. And now let us serve you and love our wives and our husbands well. To love our children and build them up in the gospel. Because this is absolute truth, Father. And it will never waver. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook. Facebook.